1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel is reviewing God's goodness to the Israelites in the past and considering what the future may hold. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel said to all Israel, I've listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and grey, and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these things, I will make it right. You've not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You've not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you've not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then stand here, because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and for your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hands of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey him, and do not rebel against his commands. And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you, as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. 
Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and to serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much, Alan. Well, good morning to you all. Happy New Year. Let's um, pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Father God, as we study your word together now, we do pray that you would enable us to see all of the great things that you have done for us. Help us to see the magnitude of them. And help us to respond by fearing you and serving you faithfully with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the course of uh, world history, there have been many leaders of the 200 or so countries in the world who've led their countries for a period of time. Um, some have been for a very short period of time. I think the shortest reign in this country was Lady Jane Grey, who ruled for nine days. Um, some have ruled for a lifetime. Uh, Queen Elizabeth will be in her 66th year now, so doing pretty well. Some have inherited their position. Some have been elected. But what happens when their reign comes to an end? Particularly if they weren't ready to, to stand down. What is the message that they want to communicate to their people? Well, today we have a farewell speech, and um, farewell speeches normally have a certain sort of uh, set format. Um, it's usually something along the lines that uh, this is a great country, even though it may be a complete basket case uh, full of corruption and uh, crime and, and civil war. It's been an honor to lead it. Uh, even if it's been a complete nightmare and people have been uh, criticizing you the whole time. I'm pleased to be leaving it in a better state than when I arrived. In other words, haven't I done a good job? And I wish my successor all the best for the future, even though they stuck a knife in my back. Um, well, this morning we're looking at a farewell speech. Um, our verse for the year comes in the middle of a farewell speech. And it's the farewell speech of one of Israel's greatest leaders, Samuel. A situation behind uh, this speech is that Israel had demanded that Samuel appoint a king for them. 
so they could be like all the other nations. And back in chapter 8, we're told the elders of Israel, if you want to flick back a couple of chapters, came to Israel, uh, came to Samuel, and said in verse 5, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now Samuel was not very happy with this, um, and he prays to God about it. And in verse 7 of chapter 8, God says, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And then in verse 9, God says, Warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel tells them how the kings will take their sons and daughters um, into his service. They will demand a tenth of all they have for his purposes. But it doesn't succeed in changing their minds. They still insist in verse 19, No, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. So Samuel appoints Saul king over Israel in chapter 10. And in chapter 11, Saul defeats Nahash and the Ammonites. And Samuel calls all the, the people together at Gilgal. Uh, and he calls them together to renew the kingdom, to give Saul sort of an official induction, as it were. And as we go into chapter 12, we have Samuel's farewell speech. And it wasn't exactly what the people probably expected to hear. First of all, he defends his own record as a leader. And particular makes clear how he's always acted with justice and integrity towards the people. But then Samuel the defendant becomes Samuel the accuser as he puts the people of Israel in the stand. And coming into chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, Now then, stand here because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. And that acts as one bookend to what he says near the end of his speech in the second half of chapter 24, our verse for the year. Consider what great things he has done for you. The focus of Samuel's speech is not on himself, it's on God. Those righteous acts, those great things God has done for you are all to do with God's mercy. And Samuel is going to show them how time after time the people cry out to God and he has mercy on them by sending someone to help them. The first example he gives is in verse 9. He says, uh, um, the people cried to the Lord for help and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But... In verse 9, and this is Israel's repeated crime, he says they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. To forget God is not like losing touch with someone you were once at school with and who's now dropped off your your Christmas card list. Um, It's not forgetting to send somebody a birthday card. God is the one to whom everything we owe, everything we have, including our whole lives. And so to forget God is to live as though he doesn't exist. As though you don't need him. 
And that is a terrible crime. That is what this is all about. That is what sin is in its essence. Yes, sin is all the, the bad things we do, but at its roots it's to fail to acknowledge God. And the book of Judges um, chronicles this period in the life of Israel where there was this continuous cycle. Um, the people forgot God, they sinned. God punished them by allowing them to defeat, be defeated by neighboring armies. The people realized their sin, they called out to God for help. And God sent someone to save them. And they were delivered and then lived in peace until the whole cycle started again. And some of the, the judges God sent uh, um, to rule them, uh, to, to help them, are mentioned in verse 11, Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and uh, Samuel. And in each case, Samuel says, he delivered you, God delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But then Samuel comes on to the present situation. And in verse 12, he says, But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Samuel may have been old, his sons may have been corrupt, but that wasn't the real reason why they were seeking a king. It was because they were worried about the threats from other countries. They didn't trust sufficiently in God as their king to protect them. So they wanted to do what all the other nations did. They wanted to appoint a human king. Now we're all guilty, aren't we, of being blind to our sin. And Samuel could have carried on telling them about the mistakes they'd made. And they would probably have just nodded in agreement um, just to keep him happy without really accepting they'd done anything wrong. And so Samuel does something quite dramatic to make them see. He calls God to send thunder and rain. Now, had he done that in this country, he probably wouldn't have seemed a very amazing thing. Um, but in Israel, during the wheat harvest, when it never rained, it would have had quite a big impact on the people there. And so as we come onto the commands in our verse for the year, we're going to start with the second half of the verse, which is consider what great things he has done for you. And the first thing that he has done for us is that he has enabled us to repent and be forgiven. In verse 18, we see how sending thunder and rain has the desired effect. Have a look at verse 18, the end of verse 18. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. It's like the day of Pentecost, isn't it? Remember Peter preaching to the crowd, um, and we're told that the Spirit cut them to the heart. And they said, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If we don't see our sin, then we are heading for, for judgment. The people of Israel convinced themselves that to ask for a, a king was, was no big deal. Uh, everybody else has got one. Uh, what's the problem? 
And we do exactly the same, don't we? We, we convince ourselves that something in our life that we're a bit uncomfortable with is actually okay, really. Everybody else does it. It's, it's just normal. We won't understand the good news of salvation, the gospel, until we see sin from God's perspective. Many of us will remember the moment when we realized uh, that the way in which we were living our lives, which we thought was okay, was in God's sight rebellious. And we needed to repent. And and as we did so, it was like a, a weight lifted from us as we experienced God's forgiveness. In verse 16, Samuel says, Now stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Why is sending a storm such a great thing? Because it makes them aware of their sin. It makes them aware of God's attitude towards it. And so they ask Samuel to pray for them. And Samuel replies in verse 20, Do not be afraid. But the next words are even more amazing. You have done all this evil. Don't be afraid you've done all this evil. That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? If they've done all that evil and God has shown them how powerful he is, how awesome he is, then surely they should be petrified. The reason they don't need to be afraid is because they're serving a merciful God. They don't deserve to be forgiven, but God forgives them anyway. He overlooks their sin. And the reason he can overlook their sin it's because Jesus will carry their sins for them. And that is a great thing that God has done in their lives. Uh, it's a great thing that God has done in our lives if we, if we are Christians. It's a great thing that he can do in anybody's life here. People sometimes say, we don't mention sin, the sin word, because it might cause offense. But if we don't see our sin, if we don't realize our sin, we will never fully understand God's love and his mercy towards us. Well, what other great things has God done that we should consider? Secondly, he has made us his own. The heart of the relationship between God and his people was a covenant in which God promised to be their God and protect and provide for them. And they promised to be his people and to trust him and obey him. To be part of God's covenant people is to belong to him. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to, to belong. Uh, I was speaking to someone recently who said, we don't just tell people that we, we go to LCBC or we attend LCBC, but we belong to LCBC. And if we belong to LCBC as God's church, ultimately we belong to God. It's a wonderful thing to belong, but conversely, it's a terrible thing to feel that you don't belong anywhere. I'm sure many of you will be aware that the BBC is... Uh, doing a new dramatisation of Les Miserables um, Sunday evenings uh, without the music. Uh, I'm sure it will provide a rich theme of uh, sermon illustrations in the coming weeks. Um, in the first episode, Jean Valjean um, is released from, from prison after 19 years. But his papers show that um, uh, he has a criminal record. And so he goes from, from place to place seeking uh, work and, and shelter. Um, but everywhere he's shunned, he, he doesn't fit in. He doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere until a kind priest takes him in and provides him with food and shelter. And Valjean rewards him by stealing from him. Um, And even when he's caught, though, by the police, 
the priest forgives him. And before Valjean goes off again, the priest says to him, you belong to God. And without ever having belonged to anyone, it's, it's a hard thing for him to, to accept. Once we belong to God, he won't let us go. We are his. Verse 22 says, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. When God has forgiven us so many times and we keep messing up and we keep asking forgiveness, um, it's tempting to think, isn't it, that although he may continue to forgive us because he's promised that he will, surely he just gets fed up with us, doesn't he? Um, he must somehow just tolerate us. But amazingly, he not only continues to forgive us, he continues to love us and delight in us. Because we are his, we belong to him. He's made us his own. Well, thirdly, he's given us the means of grace. Whilst God himself is gracious, he gives us the means of grace. And we see these in verse 23. God, we've seen, doesn't reject his people. But nor does Samuel in this passage. Uh, even though the people don't want him as their leader anymore, they've, they've, they've kicked him out. Um, you could excuse him for going off on a straw. But God's love for his people means that he's given Samuel sufficient grace to be an instrument of God's grace. And when we meet people who are uh, tremendously gracious, tremendously uh, prayerful, it's easy to put them on a pedestal and think, wow, look at them. I can never be like that. But actually we should be thanking God for all the great things he has done for us because sending his, min- his ministers to serve, serve, serve us is a wonderful act of grace. It's a grace by God. The people who, who mean so much to us, who help us in our Christian walk, are a means of God's grace. What actually does Samuel say in verse 23? He says, as for me... Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. The two roles that Samuel is continuing to perform are those of priest, by praying for the people, by interceding with God on their behalf, and prophet, in the sense that he's bringing them God's instruction, he's teaching them the way they should walk. Two roles which Jesus later would perform and still does perform today. He's priest. He is interceding on behalf of his people and God the Father listens to him on account of the sacrifice that he's made. So when we pray to pray to God the Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We can pray for ourselves, um, but God also gives us other Christians who pray for us. Many of you know how, how wonderful it is to be upheld in prayer when you're, you're going through a tough time. When you find it may be hard to pray for yourself. That's why we have a prayer email to let people know about different prayer needs of people in our church family. Samuel considered it a sin for him to fail to pray for the people. Why might he consider it a sin? Well, because to not pray for others is either to to not love our brothers or sisters enough to pray for them or is to not believe that prayer makes any difference that it's just a waste of time but looking at it positively prayer is a privilege isn't it 
Because prayer is a means of God's grace. That's why we're starting this, this year with a week of prayer. It's saying we want God's work here to grow. And if it is to grow, we need God's grace. And we can't do anything in our own strength. The Bible says unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So I hope you've made this week of prayer a priority. I hope you're looking forward to it as an opportunity to uh, to come closer to God and come closer to to one another. Jesus is a priest. He's also a prophet in the sense that he was a teacher of God's word. He taught people about the kingdom of God. Samuel said, I will teach you the way that is good and right. Jesus came to teach people the way that is good and right. He came to teach people the way to God as they trusted in him. And we still have the word of God to teach us. That is a means of God's grace. We have teachers who help us to understand what it means. But most importantly, we have the Holy Spirit, the teacher, who enables us to understand it. So let's not neglect God's means of grace prayer and his word well let's come on to the rest of our verse for the year verse 24 says be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart consider what great things he has done for you We've considered three of the great things that God has done for us that come up in this passage. He's enabled us to repent and be forgiven. He's made us his own. He's given us the means of grace. Well, the last one is he enables us to fear him and serve him faithfully with all our heart. Have we gone straight into this verse? It could very easily have come across as... Make it your New Year's resolution this year to fear God more, to serve him more, and don't forget to thank him for all he's done for you. And we could all fail dismally, as we probably would do, and be complete failures. But do you see that in the context of this passage, it's an amazing lesson of God's grace. It flows out of that. I don't know what you you understand by fearing God, Maybe you think of it as a bit of a, an Old Testament thing. You know, in the Old Testament, God is a God of judgment. And in the New Testament, he's a God of love. But there are plenty of Old Testament passages that speak of God's love. And there are plenty of New Testament passages that, think, that speak of the fear of God. In Philippians 2, it says, Paul writing to the Philippians, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is assuming the people to whom he's writing are already saved. But he's encouraging them to work out their salvation. In other words, to live a life in which they demonstrate that they belong to God. And that involves fear and trembling because it's acknowledging the power and the majesty of God. Back in 1 Samuel, the people stood in awe of the Lord. And yet... At the same time, the Bible is full of the command, as we read here, to don't be afraid. Do not fear. In the letter of John, we're told that perfect love drives out fear. So it's combining two different aspects of God's character. God prompts fear, but he's also a loving God. And we mustn't get either of them out of perspective. 
If we just talk about God being a God of love, we lose the sense of awe at his power, his purity, his holiness. If we just talk about his power, purity, holiness, his majesty, we lose a sense of his compassion and mercy and intimacy. We're going back to the verse. We we can't separate out fear from the rest of it. It says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. And that all goes together. We'll have a look at back in 14. It's the same there. Back in verse 14, it says, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. Or verse, verse 20, you've done all this evil, Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. So fearing God is not just standing in awe of him. It's responding to his mercy with all of my heart. It's responding by serving him, by obeying him, by following him. It's accepting that God is the only king I need in my life. And I will be faithful to him with all of my heart. I will not follow any other God, any other idol. I don't know if you saw the um, the recent uh, documentary over Christmas of uh, Ant Middleton, the uh, SAS guy uh, climbing Everest. When he arrived at um, the, the airport in Kathmandu, he was greeted by his Sherpa guide. And uh, confessed he wasn't particularly impressed by him um, in terms of what he looked and, and later came to regret judging him by his appearance. Because he made it to the top of Everest, um, but got stuck at the top. The bad weather came in and he very nearly didn't make it down again alive. Um, but when he got down, he was full of praise for his guide. He said, this guy had never left me. He was always by my side every step of the way. God will always be there for us every step of the way because he's a faithful God. And the question is, will we trust him? Will we be faithful to him? In an increasingly individualistic society, faithfulness or loyalty is a virtue which is becoming more and more rare. God expects us to be faithful to our spouse, to our friends, our colleagues, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but above all, to him. And there are many things in this world which will tempt us to be unfaithful to God, that will push him out of our lives, that will cause us to forget him. Things we're tempted to trust in more than him. I wonder what those things are for you let's resolve as we go into this new year to to serve God faithfully with all our hearts we won't be able to do that in our own strength but we don't have to because God has given us the grace to do that consider what great things God has done for you even when we fail he enables us to repent and be forgiven. God has made us his own. He won't reject us. God has given us the means of grace. He's given us prayer and the word. 
And when we do fear him and serve him faithfully with all our heart, it's again because of his grace that is working in us. Praise be to God for his glorious grace. Let's have a moment to just reflect on the things that might cause you to not put God first and to say sorry for them. Maybe today is the day when you say sorry to God for the first time and you commit to to follow him as your king, as your Lord. It's a moment of quiet and I'll pray. Father God, we are sorry for all the times where we have failed to trust you completely. Where we've looked at other things to put our trust in, we've followed other things, we've served other things, we've worshipped other things as our, as our God. And we've forgotten you. Father, forgive us, we pray. And as we go forward into this new year, Lord, we do pray that uh, you would make us aware of those uh, those things that may tempt us to to turn away from you. Lord, give us the strength, give us your grace to withstand those temptations. Fill us with a greater awe at you. Remind us continually of all the great things that you have done for us. Help us to reflect on them, to meditate on them, and to be full of gratitude for them. And as we do so, Lord, help us to to serve you faithfully with all of our hearts and find joy in doing so. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.